0: Welcome to the Modern Erotic, a place to delight in, discover and indulge in the many ways we can open to receive more pleasure in our daily lives. Pleasure is nourishment, pleasure is power and in these times pleasure is a deep form of resistance. Join me, your host, Sophia Shawcon, as we travel the scenic route through the landscape of the erotic. Hello, and welcome back to the Modern Erotic. It's so lovely to be here with you all again, and I'm really enjoying this time of the week, and I hope you are all too. Uh, So this week, we're going to be talking about pleasure and power, which is something that I think is very important to look at uh, with how power dynamics are present within how we relate um, intimately, and also to the wider world. So the route we're going to take this week is with my guest Andy Buru, who is multifaceted and very experienced. He's had a really interesting journey which we're going to touch on, and he comes from a background of being a student in theatre. Um, he's a medical massage therapist, a former organisational coach, a conscious kinkster, and teacher of European and Japanese rope bondage. Um, And he is someone who has a wealth of experience when it comes to BDSM, to power dynamics, and using rope bondage as a healing modality. Um, And we touch on aspects of how he integrated his primal masculine, uh, how he confronted it discovered it and really wove it into the fabric of his life to transform it and the lessons that he's now learning from um, being unified with this primal essence of his being and he's had much experience within the world of power play within BDSM and I get to open up um, his experiences working as a practitioner uh, with BDSM, but also within um, his personal explorations of power play in different forms. Now, BDSM, kink, all these things, some people listening to this podcast might be very familiar with this territory and others it might be something that's quite new Um, but I have a real passion and belief that these frameworks, these ways of embodying different archetypal energies of our masculine and feminine are deeply transformational and can deliver some incredible opportunities for trust, for surrender, for really deepening uh, one's connection with a partner. And so that's my motivation for including this aspect of um, pleasure and how we can receive it in these spaces. Um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation I'm going to be chatting with Andy in a month's time um, and I would encourage you to find Andy's Instagram to listen to his readings uh, which he's been recording through lockdown and once you've had a listen let me know what you want to hear more of and we'll get Andy back for a conversation so without further ado I will introduce Andy Buru here we go What a pleasure to have Andy Buru joining me on The Modern Erotic today, who is uh, talking to me from Stockholm, uh, which is very exciting. Um, And Andy is uh, many things. Um, He's working within the healing arts, I would say, uh, but coming from a really interdisciplinary background. And his focus is on working with rope bondage in a very interesting way and I came across Andy um, first of all on Fet Life and then um, I've been listening to lots of writings that Andy's been doing through lockdown about BDSM and power play and I was very interested in your experience of discovering your primal masculine because you did a piece of writing about that that I found very refreshing um, to hear somebody really paying attention to that aspect of their sexual nature and then looking at the journey that you'd gone on to explore, to integrate and to understand what that aspect is of you, how to work with it, how to enjoy it um, and then how it's kind of changed the dynamic of what you do in the world as well. Um, So thank you for joining me, Andy. It's a real pleasure to have you.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here and I find it really interesting to yeah, like how this lockdown period makes it, it kind of creates new connections to people that I wouldn't spend time with. Otherwise, now I have time to spend it with you. and That kind of gives me time to think about new things. And yeah, it's really.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you've been really busy through lockdown. You've just been writing a lot and really having time to think and create in a different way, which I think is also a real blessing of lockdown. Um yeah. We've had time to do things differently and connect, which is a blessing. So yeah, this is a silver lining to lockdown, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I would love for you to share, um, to maybe give our listeners a bit of context um, around who you are and yeah. what you do, just to tell me a little bit about your story with um, recognising your primal masculine and yeah. how, that, how that developed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know kind of where you come from or like your history. Mm -hmm. For me, growing up in Sweden during the 80s, and then you kind of need to understand what Sweden was like back then coming. Like I can take the longest, I think it's interesting, like mm-hmm. Sweden coming out of like the Second World War as winner is the wrong word, but we were not involved in the war very much. So Sweden had like a lot of money and mm-hmm. was very like industrial and very wealthy in many ways and was in this kind of borderland between kind of the American way and the Russian way we were like on mm. this line in between. And how kind of politics developed from there through like 1968, I think it is with the Vietnam War and so on going on. And so with my parents coming into that, being like in a very privileged place in a way because we didn't have any war. We didn't Mm -hmm. have any like starvation, anything like this, um, but still being very kind of engaged in thinking like where is society going right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from that kind of you will have like the real rise of like kind of Swedish socialism and feminism coming in from that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my parents being very kind of into this kind of movement. And then we had this view that kind of that to empower women and to kind of give them more and more space, and men are kind of stepping back in that and kind of giving or giving up some of their space to women and but i think it's also like so in looking at like kind of place where i come from like my mother is more like like the family leader in the Mm -hmm, mm sense and my father was very much wanting to empower her on this kind of journey
0: Mm -hmm. to make real matriarch
1: yeah a real matriarch Mm -hmm. but i don't think like i also it's funny because when i think about other matriarchs like if i look on kind of maybe like i've guessed that you are jewish right
0: Yes, yeah, so I've, my family background is Polish-Jewish on my father's side and my mum's from Holland, uh, yeah, and Belgium, yeah.
1: Yeah, because I also have like this other picture of the matriarch that is this kind of very kind of loud and kind of taking up like a lot of space and kind of telling people how it should be and so on. Mm-hmm. So like I would say more like my mother, she's more like a patriarch or like mm-hmm. a female patriarch, like because she's not super feminine in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's well, I, more like, yeah, that she's more like um, being the man or the masculine in my in my father, and my mother's kind of relationship. In many ways, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. well, I think that was a mirror of of that first wave of feminism. I think in order to take up space within a world which had been created by men, women really had to almost detach from their femininity in order to mirror the men. so that Mm. they could match them in that space and it was almost like a necessity I think of that first first level of feminism and maybe we were in a different space where we're remembering what it Mm. is to be feminine and the qualities of feminine leadership uh, are very Mm. different to that of the masculine
1: yeah yeah Yeah, so like where I'm coming from more is like that my mother being the man in the family Mm -hmm. making all the decisions in a kind of patriarchal way Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: and then also when I grew up like it was like in a very safe environment so I didn't have like much um, worries in my life um, or not much adventures like so I turned very much to doing like role playing games and playing computer games and being like Mm -hmm. a nerd traditionally Mm -hmm. Um, but in this kind of in a very sexualized space um, so I didn't think that like, what is this masculine and this feminine and what is kind of this sexual polarity didn't exist for me early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I kind of got in contact with this when I was young and I started to go out to nightclubs with my friends and we kind of ended up going to like a gay nightclub. Mm-hmm. Um, called tip-top if people are Swedish and from like back in the 90s early like, end so 90s, remember it. like this, yeah yeah they will remember it um, and like that is where I first got in contact with this kind of there is a polarity between not the genders between in kind of in the sexual attraction like yeah. there's some yeah. men that are like super masculine and some that are super feminine and they are attracted to each other and they kind of play out this um, this role play or this uh, power dynamic of the dominant and the submissive Mm -hmm. Um, that for me has been completely missing in like when I was growing up in many ways. So this kind of then got me like very curious about this kind of, because I got like so pulled into it. It wasn't like an intellectual thing, more like an emotional journey, getting Mm -hmm. into this very kind of mysterious or um, like fascinating, almost like a dreamy kind of... Another world. Yeah that I notice that I have like such a huge attraction to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I'm attracted to this role. So this dynamic or this kind of, in a way, it's could use this kind of hedonistic decadent, this mm-hmm. kind of I really like understanding this kind of where kind of, what I see was, because the way I see this, like is that this kind of drives, if you repress them, i think they will like pop up in places where you don't expect them absolutely that's why you you find them first in like the gay underground scene uh and in like this in the bdsm subculture and so on because they are repressed in like modern kind of everyday life
0: certain elements i think within both genders are you're trained to be a certain way in order to find different successes in life you know, whether mm. with with the male, it's, you know, success with money, career, power. With the woman, it's it's family, um, also career, children, um, the career success. I think we're all pushed to find specific things. And in order to do that, there are things which we leave behind um, because they don't fit into those certain roles sometimes, but they still exist mm. within us. Um, yeah, and it's within that more intimate space that we can maybe navigate them
1: yeah or like create a space where we can mm-hmm. see these sides of ourselves as well and i think mm-hmm. that yeah because I, I also think look like at this like in this kind of modern um world where what is in this modern kind of or on the, the field where i exist because then of course you have this um where you can explore sexuality or these sides of yourself like in an intimate relationship, but you also now are getting spaces where you create them in a more social environment, like in workshops, mm-hmm. play spaces, in subcultures, in clubs. So I think that there is actually a movement in opening up these spaces.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, they're, be- yeah, they're becoming more socially acceptable, even if it is yeah. within <clears throat> maybe a more specific uh metropolitan um identity, you know, gathering of people within cities and things like that. It's it's becoming much more part of the culture and feeding in through things like fashion um and music and it's mm. it's becoming much more visible, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, so like then I mean this kind of kicked off the very long journey of like I was working in Japan and in Montreal for a couple mm-hmm. of years. And been traveling a lot and like looking for different ways to kind of like trying to figure out what is this kind of this sexual polarity because really for me this is kind of where it comes down to the difference between being very equal in a way
2: mm-hmm.
1: or kind of creating a polarity between yes. yourself and another person or within yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's I think that is a really interesting point as well because I think externally that equality um has been something that women have been really, you know, striving for and that has been kind of the byword, you know, within relationships mm. is, is to find something that is equal. But mm. at the same time, I think there are benefits to that, but there are such enormous differences and that polarity like you're mm. saying is where that energy can Really play between um, it has somewhere to go, and there's a, a an action and a reaction within that um, exchange of polarity.
1: Yeah, because one thing I have spent a lot of time is kind of trying to define what is a polarity really.
0: Mm. Mm. Um,
1: because when I first get in contact with it, it they, it was through the tantric kind of practices. So it was first in the gay world, but then kind of when people started put word on what's happening, and mm. it wasn't this very traditional tantra, and then they talk about the man and the female. I got very confused because like mm. it's not connected to gender or what you have between your legs, and it then yeah. knows it's not really connected either to one thing like masculine or feminine or submissive and dominant it's Mm -hmm. more like two different ideas that stand in polarity together so Mm -hmm. then I kind of start with what is this really and kind of what I come down to is that it is the like to have two different roles or two different ways of acting that want something from the other that they can't achieve by themselves
0: yes yeah absolutely it's like a reflection of something opposite Mm -hmm.
1: And by doing this, um, it's, like, really where you can... Because, like, allowing yourself to be dependent on someone else that is different than you that can mm-hmm. do something that you can't, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. like,
1: that's when you get this kind of cycle of kind of exchange and growth and so on, this kind of yes. specialization in many ways.
0: Yes, yeah, it's where the transformation occurs in yeah. a way, yeah.
1: And I think this is, like, so valuable at within, like, a sexual frame, definitely, but then Absolutely. also in, in, in other frames as well.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm Yeah. Mm, wow. So, yeah, so that was really through, I guess, yeah, going into the gay scene, which expressed to you these opposites and these, yeah. even if it was within the same gender. And how, how did you um, kind of then come to play with this within your own relationships and integration of that and how did that
1: yeah i mean i kind of after a few years realized that i wasn't very gay after all mm-hmm. so like the kind of gay scene was not <laughs> a great place for me to kind yeah. of explore this <laughs> <laughs> yeah so then i kind of started to look for other play ways where this played out and mm-hmm. then i came across the bdsm scene hmm and it was first actually in, in Tokyo, but then also in Montreal later where I had like a long kind of this kind of 24, like a long dedicated relation master-slave relationship, or it was actually yeah. like mistress-slave relationship because mm-hmm. I was a slave and another person was the mistress of a woman mm-hmm. um, or a young girl, actually. She was like 18, 19, mm-hmm. and I was like 23, 24, I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that was um, your first
0: experience of, of a power dynamic yeah. uh, or a... a, a A a kind of I guess an an open power dynamic because I think power dynamics play out in relationships whether we call them out or Uh, not but I think what's healthy about BDSM is you can cite them and you can claim them and there's an understanding and they're clear
1: (laughs) yeah yeah so that was kind of what what why whatever yeah so yeah exactly what you said like that was what I went into back then Mm. Um, but then I after that I moved back to Stockholm and because I was traveling in my career job, which was like yeah. being first like an um, like a technical expert in like an mm-hmm. IT firm, but then moving more towards management and coaching and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I came back to Stockholm, I decided I wanted to kind of keep this life going in some way. Yeah. Um, and that kind of led me to kind of start to read more about it. Um to read more about BDSM and then after my years in Japan I was very fascinated with that culture Mm -hmm. Um, so then I decided I wanted to learn about Japanese rope bondage
0: yeah yeah
1: like shibari or kimbaku
0: Mm -hmm. Um, and can you explain sorry just to um because some of our listeners might know what this is and others might not um but can you just Mm. give a, a little explanation of what rope bondage is and maybe the difference between shibari and kimbaku
1: yeah sure um Like for rope bondage, it's like physically tying one person, tying another person up with rope. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of like handing over power and trust Mm -hmm. in like a consensual kind of frame for doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's deeply connected to this kind of, to the idea of like longing and belonging to someone like you. By letting you tie me, I kind of belong to you. Yeah, so we are kind of one, and yeah. we kind of I have some place where I belong in many ways. Yeah, um, so I think this is this longing to kind of be held in this kind of space.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then the difference between the, um, the terms shibari and kimbaku in shibari in Japanese pretty much means to tie. So it's anything mm-hmm. like tying your shoes, tying your uh, presents, or your um, flowers at home mm-hmm. um, so I think that is very much like the act of bondage but then there is the term of kimbaku which kind of wants to go deeper in a way it's also complicated with the Japanese language first because I don't speak it very well yeah. at all but then also like the words have much more different meanings and aspects to them than in like English sure so so I'm trying to put um, one definition of something that could be very manifested yeah, it in ways. Yeah. But like what I think what you're trying to touch upon in using the word Kimbaku that it's more about interpersonal relationship mm-hmm. or more about the power dynamic that is being played out between the person being tied and the person tying.
0: Sure, you're the emotional in, meaning.
1: Yeah, you're more interested mm. in that, interested in that than the actual like tying and the bondage itself, what it yeah. represents.
0: Great, thank you for explaining. And so you were in Japan and that's that's where you wanted to go and learn, where you, you wanted to go and learn more about the that culture and rope bondage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, did, and did you study in, sorry, did you study in Japan?
1: Um, I studied a little bit in Japan, but it's also, I find it coming from like a European background, it's a bit hard to learn because the... Um, the way that knowledge is being transferred is very different right and also it's a huge use language barriers so I actually learned the most from a couple in Copenhagen called Max and Tina who mm-hmm. tied together I think it's for like 20 years and traveled a lot to Japan and learned lot mm. there but they kind of could take their 20 year of knowledge and put it into like the Scandinavian language yeah uh, easier to digest so yes yeah, so I learned most of how I tie from them in many ways. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. And then I kept going back to Japan because I'm interested in the country, but it's more like to study the culture in many ways. I'd go to some rope events, but I also study a lot of Ikebana and like tea ceremonies and like, because I'm interested in like how, yeah, in the culture more or less.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess there's that, there's a whole philosophy that comes with those actions. And mm. it, within Japan, that practice of, of something whether it's a tea ceremony or flower arranging or rope bondage it's almost like it it has the principles of living and it teaches Mm. you those principles of living through that action and the intention and focus that you have maybe while you're doing them
1: yeah i mean in japanese it's often um used by the (laughs) the word or like the character do um mm-hmm. i mean aikido and or in shado sha is t si and do is then yeah this character that i'm so going to talk about and also you have arranging flowers is kado right um, so and yeah so so do kind of japanese means the way and it's kind mm. of connected to taoism or Taoism where dao that is the way the way of doing things
2: yeah yeah
1: um so they can kind of all kind of almost mashed into a religious kind of practice of like presence and listening and the impermanence of things and valuing kind of yeah what's happening right and here and now and not this mm-hmm. kind of continuous development or striving somewhere. So I think mm. this kind of energy is why bad word but this kind of feeling or this kind of aesthetic or this kind of philosophy kind of attracted me very deeply Mm. and then i also think i find this very much in sweden in because sweden and japan is similar in these ways
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a real acting out of presence as well isn't it respecting the material world it has the the same value as the spiritual but this is where we exist and so bringing that that presence to whatever you're doing in a really Mm. powerful way Mm. which I guess with rope is completely necessary um yeah
1: yeah totally because like I see it so much when when I because I teach a lot in different spiritual circles or like communities and so on and it's almost like in the European or Scandinavian world, then spirituality is like a separate practice that you do. Yeah. Like you go to a bondage workshop, you do your this, but with this kind of idea of the Tao or the, is that it kind of is more of a woven into the everyday practices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. But I find, I think it's like, as a way to kind of rediscover spirituality in like Western life, we kind of create this kind of where it's clear, like now I go here because I want to be spiritual
0: yeah yeah
1: and I think it's yeah, I think it's a good way to do it because it's like a first step and then maybe we, one day we'll come back to seeing us all of us like all of our life as being spiritual in many ways
0: yeah absolutely well I guess that's another idea of the separation of the European mind as well <laughs> mm. we're detached from nature and actually I think what's interesting you know about the primal aspects of who we are um, is they run through the core of us and it it connects us back to our truth which is we're animals and we Mm, you know the european brain and many other cultures really detest Mm. that fact that we are Mm. connected to nature and we're no different but i think that's what's so healthy about um being able to express and embody and discover these aspects of who we are because they can enrich our relationship to ourselves um the the uh, planet around us and also within relationships it's a deeper truth because it's really honoring and bringing in all the elements of who you are and sh- being able to move through the spectrum of who you are in your day to day life but then also within that um more intimate space with your partner, you can witness. Uh, perversion and it's accepted and it's okay and it's held safely mm. um, which I think is something that gives great power um, because again it's integrated and it's not that kind of spilling out that you mentioned earlier yeah
1: um, yeah I mean it's it's kind of funny in a way because when I meet people that talk about this when we come back to like the idea of primal masculinity mm. like we'll see like some people they say like oh but may, men are like this and women are like this and they act in this kind of assholeish primal masculine way and just dominate everything around them mm. so this kind of thing, in one way I think it's necessary to put this kind of frame around like this kind of this more animalistic side of the mm. human, uh, of what it is means to be human in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I f- so I think that is why kind of these practices, like that comes from BDSM and tantra and rope and so on, to be able to have this frame where you can actually act out your your primal instincts in many ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's. Then really- I'm very
1: unsure about how it is if you should do this in your everyday life as well or not.
0: Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, that depends on the context very much.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that, then it gets much more complicated for me yeah. when it is good or bad in many ways.
0: Yeah, but then I guess maybe we are always acting out our primal nature because we are always acting and reacting. And even if we, like, kind of subconsciously we are, but we have the level of kind of contemporary consciousness over the top of it, which makes me believe, makes us believe that we're not. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, but I think it's so clear because like, I also studied theater a lot and then I worked with kids or children. Yes. Kids, and they do not have this kind of filter of society that like us adults have. in.
0: We ways. learn, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think we have very learned to kind of box <laughs> in our kind of primal emotions and kind of to work as this kind of, what you call like, is it called like a cog? Mm.
0: In mm. the big machinery. Mm-hmm. So, Mm, That's an interesting point, because I think, you know, we coming from that childlike state where we're open and we're responsive and we're, you know, maybe having three or four tantrums a day and but feeling everything on a very high level. And then we learn to tone that down. But when in our lives do we learn to tune back into that so that we can use that as something that gives us nourishment and energy? Yeah, We can deepen our connection as well.
1: Yeah, I think it is my tea teacher that says that he thinks that you should like divide the world, your time in three different spots. First, it is the spot for like meditation or mm-hmm. your practice. Then you're like going inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. Then you have the time for more like celebration, going yes. outwards and yes. kind of celebrating with your friends that think you're like going to a social gathering and da-da-da-da-da.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or like going to a party, dancing and so on. Or you can have the time where you actually are like working, and then you're kind of adapting to the people around you to kind of create some kind of benefit for the greater good and to make money, and so Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to work. Then it's very good to kind of box yourself into a place where you actually can kind of perform in a huge organization,
2: Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. just like connecting back more to like a political perspective, like if you look at like capitalism and the development that has happened through kind of the world, I don't know, is it like the past hundred years maybe, like it has taken us to amazing places. Like we have like an amazing like medical system and like the economic system, people are not starving as they were before. Like it has like created a lot of like being able to put ourselves in this box and working together as this kind of well-coordinated machinery has taken us like into a great place, but Mm -hmm. been uh, at the loss of this kind of spiritual and the personal and the meditation, the celebration and the sexuality and so on. So I think it's figuring out like, how do you balance this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. How do we move back? Not backwards, but just how do we bring things, maybe bring these things forward with us? Uh, because I think things like ritual ceremony you know they're so important to to finding meaning in life and um, there's not many places within which we can find them but I know I've very much enjoyed having a space within my sexual partnerships that is Mm. more considered and um, I think I've gained so much more than that and actually having a conscious relationship to to my sexuality and understanding Mm. what I what it is I want and finding partners that can match me there and being able to explore from a place that is um just just has a a a quality of insight from it rather than it just Mm. being something that you do with somebody because you're with them
1: yeah yeah Yeah. I I think I like to think about that I use sexuality as the arena where I operate because it is a place that is so loaded in our sec- in our society yeah and it is, yeah. and it is like and it's a good place to learn how to be intimate and it's a good place yes. to kind of learn about yourself because yeah. it's so that's kind of while it's kind of act is acted out within like the frame of sexuality because i often get this question when i meet people that are new to this world and i say like yeah but why do you have to involve with sex Mm -hmm. If you look at like traditional Tantra, then the sexual part, the red Tantra was the only very very small part of it. The relationship to God was equally big, like the white Tantra, and there was like many other ways of doing it. Mm -hmm. But I think like in this society that we live right now, sexuality is like a great like area to practice because you have an intimate relationship with one or more people (laughs) and it kind of and it carries like since it is uh, repressed and it's still mm. it, it's 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 so paradoxical because in one way sexuality is repressed but in mm. other ways it is everywhere like in music videos in mm-hmm. commercials in everywhere this yeah. sexuality as well so this this kind of very potent kind of um, source of energy or inspiration or power mm-hmm. that you kind of can use to learn about yourself
0: exactly yeah no i i, I can go with that very much um, and I think there's a lot of possibility. And I think it's, it's something that we all, you know, we all connect with. We're all made from it. That's how we all come into the world. And it is a kind of a creative, it's the creative energy that we're in. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why it's, there's, it's so potent. There's so much to learn that, but it can also be scary to go towards because it is so powerful and also because there has you know many many people have suffered traumas within that space so therefore it can feel like a dangerous place to open up to because Mm -hmm. of maybe what's happened in the past or um or just the layers of shame that we learn around being sexual beings through that kind of training of adult consciousness um Mm -hmm. so yeah i think to kind of to go towards it can sometimes feel fearful because of all those things. But in order to first of all, talk about it and then, you know, do your research, discover how you can move towards it in different ways, I think is, is important and finding people who, who match you um, and not rushing into things as well. But that, that kind of brings me on to um, just your, you know, your work and how you work with rope bondage. Mm. Um, And it, you know you almost well you do use rope as a way to heal and I love Mm. there's a quote which you say my work aims to create magic rooms where people can rest heal and grow Mm. I think that's that's beautiful um so yeah I'd be interesting to find out um obviously because you you know you're you're interested in BDSM you practice BDSM personally um, but Mm. what is the difference between how you work um, within your sessions and that Mm. kind of interaction with BDSM and power play in your personal relationships and yeah Yeah.
1: I mean like maybe first I should say a little bit like what I do and then I can get into yeah so like what I'm because I mean I mostly work um, either I work as a workshop leader where mm-hmm. I kind of hold workshops and retreats for like big groups or I work in like one-on-one sessions or sessions with a couple and so on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And where I either teach them something about BDSM or rope bondage or Tantra or anything of like what what they want to learn from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then I also do the sessions where I actually kind of more have an intimate but intimate is the completely wrong word, mm-hmm. where I work one-on-one with um, with a client to kind of hold a space for them yeah. to, to either learn about their traumas or to work with their traumas or to learn about their sexuality. And this often goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I tend to have like clients that are in like one of three different kind of categories. Mm-hmm. Either I get people that are really 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 traumatized is like mm-hmm. that they have maybe been a victim of abuse or rape so just being in the same room as a man again and yeah. over power to them by being tied up that's yeah. a huge thing um so stepping through that very very slowly in like a very like held and like consented or sacred space mm-hmm. is like very transformative to kind of make, yeah. meet that fear and so on um but then, but then, like, with the knowledge of rope bondage that I have, maybe I use 1% of my technical skills. Mm-hmm, in meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's much more about being, like, a body worker together with that person.
0: Yes, and I guess that's where the experience of your massage, medical massage training comes in really useful.
1: Yeah, that and also, yeah, just being in a lot of contexts. Yeah. With, mm. Yeah. No, wow. but then, like, then, then I also get some clients that are more kind of. They are more like, maybe a little bit. They are much more connected to what we are talking about right now because mm-hmm. they are more like they feel like a bit being like the victim to a society that has forced them into a certain role. Right. Right. And they don't carry like like a huge trauma that they were raped several times over and over again by an old um, partner or like a dad or something like that. It's yeah. Like they grew up in a kind of normal society or the way that we look upon society, but they were kind of forced into this gender role or into this Mm -hmm. behavior and then they're curious as to what else is there.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then they hear about BDSM and power dynamics and tantra and all of this and they kind of come and they are more curious Mm -hmm. and they want Mm -hmm. to have like a space to explore Mm. sexuality.
0: Yeah. Really nice. So to be be dominated um and to to experience that element of surrender and um yes. yeah yeah fantastic
1: yeah to see how how is it to be dominated how is it to surrender what do they need to feel safe and to trust someone to do this mm-hmm. uh, like where how does it kind of interact with who they are as a person and their mm-hmm. kind of, and then like then they come to me then they don't want to kind of go for Tinder or go to the bar and try to pick up a random guy to do this yeah they want to find someone that could guide them through this experience
0: fantastic And is that becoming more popular?
1: I don't know. I mean, I've been doing this for about 10, 15 years and Mm -hmm. it has been like kind of steadily or the same kind of popularity through the time. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And and I
1: think like the times that we're living in, they have been going on for much longer. I think like the current state of the world is probably like 100 or 50 years old. So.
0: Mm. and the majority of the uh the clients that you work with are they more women than men or is it an even spread
1: no 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 it's like 95 percent women right um or maybe i would say that 75 percent women 20 percent couples
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and five percent men
0: mm-hmm. wow so yeah that, i mean that's that's quite powerful and that says quite a lot i think in the yeah. you know the amount of women who are uh, moving towards you a A, for looking for a a kind of different route to to manage their trauma um, Mm. and to move through that but then also uh i guess the roles that women are more and more stepping into we're kind of taking on more powerful roles so that desire to surrender to a man and Mm. to be in that space of a very different feminine archetype than we are kind of trained to be in the world um yeah that's that's quite interesting yeah.
1: hmm. it's like, i mean i think everyone needs a balance between having power and surrendering power
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and i think what society is giving us in the big kind of in the, in the like in the big life is that we are kind of going to compete for power because everyone wants more power all yes. the time. yes yes and, and surrendering is seen as like um as like a sign of weakness in many ways Mm
2: -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm.
1: but being allowed to be in a place where you you can surrender where you can let go of control where you can follow yeah um,
0: and receive i think receive receive is a massive word around that and the feminine as well (laughs) yeah um yeah to
1: be able to like to see that being receptive and being feminine and being like all of these things that they're also valued
0: yeah yeah, because
1: I think that is something that um, because sometimes when people look upon BDSM but also maybe on tantra or polarity play like in a way the person in the center is the submissive or the feminine or the one surrendering because like it's to them that everything is happening it's, to, it's like their experience that is in the center of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. like if
1: I'm tying someone then like my direct experience is okay I'm holding a rope in my hand I'm making mm-hmm. a knot, I'm making a pattern while well, the direct experience of the person being in the rope is like this, being being held, being like letting go, like flying in the air, suspended in the ropes, having this this balance between pleasure and pain and this intense sensation. So, like their like emotional journey is, in my experience, like a lot more powerful than mine.
2: Mm-hmm, so, in mm-hmm. a way,
1: like them dom- being dominating in a way is very much like holding space for the other person to kind of bloom out in there. Yeah in their kind yeah. of experience or sexuality or. Yeah.
2: Mm. And, and I yeah. think a
1: lot of people doesn't see the when they look, because they think, oh, this person is dominant. They're just going to. They're in control. Like, yeah. yeah. But, then, mm. like, but how fun is it to hold a whip in your hand and hit someone? It's like, mm. it's not your emotions that are the strong and. The kind mm. of
0: but that's, yeah, that's ones. an interesting point. Mina, I mean, because I would imagine within, obviously within the the spaces that you work in, the therapeutic space with rope and then, what your personal desire is within tying somebody that must be quite different. And like you say, it's, it's all about your client when you're working in session, but how does that, how does that desire play out within when you're tying someone for pleasure? Mm. What is the, your enjoyment? What is, you know, obviously cause you have to direct your attention towards them and that is part mm. of the process of being dominant. But um, yeah. What is it that you receive from that exchange
1: um, I mean, I think it's two different things. I mm-hmm. mean, one thing is to um, kind of the trust to be mm-hmm. able to take someone through that experience and emotionally yeah. and empathically follow along on their journey. Yeah. and I think So to receive that
0: trust from them.
1: Yes, I think that is one big, but it's also kind of an indirect form of pleasure because mm. I'm taking pleasure by kind of experiencing their pleasure.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, witnessing their pleasure. I
1: also, yeah, then I also have being selfish and going into my pleasure mm-hmm. um, and kind of taking what I want and doing what I want and mm-hmm. feeling empowered in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But being given the experience. permission to do that by the dynamic of the situation.
1: Yeah. But I, I'm not sure about this, but I think about it a lot um, since I'm kind of a male man. I kind of think that my sexuality is not as, what do you say, like it's not as amazing or as powerful or as, limitless as the female sexuality in many ways i mean mm-hmm. if you look about like on many old like practices like in the tantric practice all you all talk about like the man is being like a rock or a foundation for yeah women who is like a storm like the raging ocean that she's everything and the man is the container for that yeah and i mean i think it is like the, there's a bit of a truth to that because like it's still like as a man you most men can orgasm once and then it's over like the way to sex is kind of short mm-hmm. like women can learn to be multiple orgasmic and just kind of keep going and going and kind of growing in their horniness or the sexual energy then mm-hmm. like i don't think that gender is so predefined so i think men can also learn to become more multi and to enjoy pleasure in another way mm-hmm. but then mm-hmm. i also is that then traditional masculine i don't know this really is a play of words in many yeah. ways.
0: Yeah, well, I think, you know, we don't have all the answers. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: uh, how can we possibly? But it's good to ask the questions. Yeah,
1: but, but what my experience is then is that um, if, I, if I have like, if I tie someone for my own pleasure, usually my sessions, my private sessions are usually like from like five to eight hours or something like that.
2: Wow. wow.
1: Like maybe like four hours is actually holding space and being a together with other person. And like one hour is receiving... My pleasure. Mm. So, I actually think like when I first came into this, like I write a lot about in this text to my beloved predator that you read on Fat Life and so on. Yes. Then it was just a wow experience for me to kind of get space to explore my own sexuality, mm. you know, masculine sexuality. But as it really turns out in the long run, is that I, I think it is actually much less interesting than the female sexuality. So, of course, it's not an either or <laughs> black or white, but if you yeah. have these five hours, I would say it's four-hour female sexuality and one hour yeah. focusing yeah. on my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And like that's mm-hmm. how kind of potent they are in many ways.
0: Mm. Well, I think, yeah, with women, it, you know, it takes being a woman, I can speak from that perspective, um, it takes much longer. Like, we, ha- we have a much, I guess our pleasure cycle it can be much longer, and the way in which the body responds is so it kind of begins in the brain first and setting Mm. that scene can be so powerful um, and can then lead to begin you know the pleasure cycle in the body but there's so much that can be done beforehand within how we interact and what we do before we create the scene and that anticipation and the exchange Mm. is very creative Um, and yeah so there's so much possibility I think with looking at how how we do interact sexually and how we can generate, how we can open that up for both the man and the woman to be able to um, draw out that process and make it much more powerful and much more potent than just that, you know, trying to reach orgasm.
1: Yeah, yeah. so then, Mm. like, as a man, like, I think that I take most of my pleasure of, like, riding on my partner's pleasure.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or, that
1: build-up, that long, slow build-up for a long Mm. time. And then I know that as a man, if I please my partner that way, then they will gladly spend time yeah. to give me what I need afterwards. It's, that's no problem.
0: Absolutely. But that
1: is usually quite quick and easy. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Well, I think, to, and that's, I think that's something that's very important to just come into, to zoom into, actually, because I think so much of... There can be so much performance within sexuality, both from men and with women, um, mm. men or men. I think, you know, we're, we're taught how to perform. And I think having that honesty between mm. you and your partner about what actually does turn you on, not, you know, the woman pretending to like something because she thinks it will make her man happy. It's mm. like it's kind of trying to undo that dynamic, which is so... You know it happens so so much and then yeah. the women feel cheated and angry and also a little bit like their boundaries have been crossed but it become mm. it comes from not being truthful about what actually like knowing their bodies and what turns them on and i think there's a lot of work to do in that space
1: yeah yeah i mean i think it also like us a lot of men that have not worked so much with sexuality they're very performance oriented
2: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. um and it kind of, it, it can, yeah, this becomes always very political. But in a way, it's like you call kind of power structure where women want to please men.
2: Yes. So,
1: so then kind of men want to perform well and women want to please the men that are, that want to perform well. So they fake just to kind of... Mm-hmm,
0: to keep the man happy. It. Yeah. But actually the man receives... Yeah, but and it's yeah, the none other of way around. Yeah, exactly.
1: The <laughs> men are kind of trying to perform for the women's sake and the women are faking it to make the men happy, so it's kind of crazy. Yeah, becomes of empty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, I guess within um within kind of power play, rope exchange, um BDSM there is so there are so many layers and one of the pieces of writing and reading that I really was um, excited by was your exploration of the four languages of power that you've mm. written a piece about, which is kind of expanding and a really brilliant. Um, it's just a really uh, brilliant outline of the different levels that you can play on within BDSM. Because obviously, there's the physical, but there's so much more that it, you kind you've you've taken to the soul. Mm. which is brilliant so maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about those four languages of power and how you discovered yeah, yeah, them
1: totally um it's a funny instance how i discovered them because it's actually like i'm studying like this tea ceremony um and this yes. kind of taoist way or taoist way that they do that we talked about before mm-hmm. with aikido and kado and so on um So I talked about a man there who was very much into traditional Buddhism that also is like another variation of this. Mm -hmm. And he said like, yeah, that he had heard this kind of uh, passage from like an old Buddhist scripture that is like, I don't remember, it's like 500 years before Christ or something like this. Mm -hmm. And he said like, what do you think about this and BDSM? And I think, do you have it written down? Maybe we should read Mm. it out loud.
0: Um, Do you know, I haven't got it in front of me, but I've got... um... Can you find it? Because I think, yeah, yeah please read it. Fast.
1: Yeah, because I think it's so like funny that someone, or interesting that someone wrote this, yeah, I don't know, 2,500 years ago.
0: Oh, yeah, not much has changed,
1: really, has it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Still going around in the same circles.
1: <laughs> okay, here we go. So, okay, it was written 28 years before Christ, it says, by a Buddhist monk. Okay. And it says these are the eight. Okay, these are the eight worldly condition monks that keep the world turning around, and the world turns around these eight worldly conditions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What eight? Gain and loss, fame and disrepute, praise and play, blame and, pres- and pleasure and pain. Mm-hmm. So kind of to kind of then unpack that, what it kind of means, because it kind of describes four different polarities. Mm. Can you just, yeah,
0: can you can you just uh, repeat that one more time?
1: Yeah, I'm going to. So like, yeah, yeah, it's gain and loss, Mm -hmm. fame and disrepute. Yeah praise and blame mm-hmm. and pressure and pleasure and pain.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And Got it. so they are kind of like, for me, they kind of, oh, these are polarities. There's things like two kind of different roles that interact together. Yes. Um, but I think he also writes them in a weird order that makes it a little bit hard to unpack. But if I start from the back with mm-hmm. the first kind of polarity or the first relationship between, is between pleasure and pain. Mm-hmm. And I think this is when you kind of come into BDS and this is what you often see on the surface that you have the kind of with the whip or with kind of getting pleased with orgasms or teased with this orgasm Mm -hmm. denial or tease and denial. It's like this very physical like exploration of the body. Yeah. And I think that is where it's, that's what you see. And that is also with the bondage, like being tied that can both be painful and pleasurable depending Mm -hmm. on how you do it and so Mm -hmm. on. But then you can you can move from that into the one that he writes about first, which is gain and loss,
2: hmm. which is
1: this kind of the idea of like now I give you pain or now I give you pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the idea like about of gaining something or losing something.
2: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like
1: when you play in a power dynamic, if I if I if you do something well, then you can get rewarded mm. with something by gaining it, or you can get it taken away from you. Um, so this, in a way, kind of to play with the power with inside that relationship,
0: yeah. And I there, guess that suits it, that kind of suits the the character of your submissive, um, you know, because there might be and they might want to act out and they might want to you know kind of receive that punishment that might be something that they want or kind of the other way they might want to please and you know mm. get things right and yeah
1: yeah I mean I think it is connected like many of the archetypes that you see what within like the BDSM world you have like the school teacher and the the student mm-hmm. you have, like, the mistress or the master in this leather outfit mm-hmm. and the slave and you have like all of this I don't know how you say it in English but all of this kind of Professions and uniforms like militaries, police, security guards, firemen I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That goes on, then holding to the whole like superhero thing with like Mm -hmm. Catwoman and Batman. (laughs)
0: Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's alter egos coming out. It's fab. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah um, like and all of this is about like gaining and losing things if you behave badly I will throw you in jail and if you mm. behave good then I will give you good grades and mm-hmm. what will you do for me to kind of get this reward and you kind of start to play with so it's not really about what's happening with the body anymore yeah. the the focus is shifted to what is actually kind of um, the idea of someone else deciding what you should have
0: mm-hmm. and playing into your character and that and that yes. desire behind behind that drive. Mm.
1: Yeah. And then mm. that kind of connects into the next one which is praise and blame.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because then it's like then it's no longer just about like are, am I giving you good grades or am I giving you a spanking because you were a bad student but it's also about me connecting like an emotional uh, value to this Mm -hmm. like I'm praising you for being a good girl or I'm blaming you for being a bad slave yeah then it's more about our personality so that we actually hand over the evaluation of our personality Mm. or our behavior to someone else and you can reinforcing that
0: identity as well
1: Yes, yes, mm. and you can see this a lot in the BDSM world. In kind of practices, like in objectification that you mm-hmm. I decide not. No, you're going to be a table, or you're going to be um, a dog, or a cat, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a slut. Like you kind of put it out to someone else to decide who you are, yeah. and then evaluate you from those things. Mm-hmm. And like some people, when I talk about this, that have never been in contact with this, where it goes like, "Oh my God, why would I want to do that?" Mm-hmm. I think it's that we are already so conditioned as this monk talks about these are the eight worldly conditions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that we are so conditioned to, um, be dependent on what other people think about us. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we mm-hmm. have the idea that we always need to be beautiful. And yes. if someone tells you that now you don't have to be beautiful, you just have to be a table, and yeah. that can be <laughs> a great God. relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't need to be like an astrophysics great in this science area where you have studied a long time. Now you can just be my dog and I will love you yeah. for that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, now you don't have to be like the good, well educated, well behaved uh, girl anymore. Now you can just be my slut or my fuckhole or something mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah so this is kind of that you that you allow yourself to step into a role that you normally don't play or that you can't act out in the Mm in your other life in a way
0: yeah and yeah the life that you've constructed in order to be successful and interact and receive all the things you need in order to live um yeah yeah yeah. and then yeah we we forsake a lot within that Mm. within which BDSM can feed feed that other aspect of you yeah Mm. and
1: then kind of it comes into the the last of his eight worldly conditions is the fame and disrepute Mm -hmm. and that kind of then starts to talk about like who knows about this
0: yeah Uh, yeah
1: um, is it it something that you share only with your intimate partner or your play partner or your master or your mistress or your lover Mm -hmm. are they the only one that knows that you're a dirty slut or something like this um, or is this something that you share
2: mm. so it
1: becomes part of your fame or your disrepute or mm-hmm. like and uh, people play with this in the BDSM world because like maybe they take pictures of what happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone gets a tattoo. This is very extreme, of course, like tattooing yeah. your mistress name on your butt or something like this. <laughs> um, I don't know. But like it's like in a way to kind of share it. Um, so it becomes part of the social fabric in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and I think that's why many people in the BDS community kind of enjoy spending social time in mm. the kind of within the community, because then you can also kind of lightly play with these ideas about mm. fame and this dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people post pictures of their sessions. I like to post pictures of my rope bondage, mm-hmm. or like so it's kind of a way to kind of also connect to like the the greater um, social context around you.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But
1: then also like the further you move in this chain, like from the physical into the social, um, I would say the more vulnerable it gets. And it also gets more kind of real because it goes outside just the bedroom in many Mm -hmm, ways. mm -hmm. So I think that it's when people usually start with SM, I usually uh, suggest them to start in the very physical. And then you can kind of start to move further to kind of then figure out like, yeah. What? Where do you want the the boundaries of your kind of play to be?
0: Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah. Wow. And that's yeah. That's a whole other whole other dimension in a way to play with. When you're when you're kind of you're carving a community and you're meeting that community through this new identity as well, mm. that becomes something. Yeah. Again, like really creating a different world which you're existing in. Which.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I think this is a lot what people dream about when you have like movies like Eyes Wide Shut and you see this kind yeah. of ritual uh, line of gatherings of like-minded people. So I think mm-hmm. it definitely mm-hmm. plays a huge role in people's fantasies to kind of participate mm. in something that is in a way, again, greater than yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or just you and your partner. Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, I guess there's a lot also to be learned through connecting with other people who are into this. Uh, practice because I think again you know there's safety and trust is very important and to be well educated I think is is really key and I think it's we have you know a responsibility when we're talking about this to any listeners who are out there who might not know so much about this world but really take your time and find teachers who you trust and um, yeah you know just make the time within yourself to do research um, and don't move too fast so that you can do this safely because there is risk involved and the risk is sometimes um, part of the attraction but Mm. it's it's having that balance between the danger and that taboo but also the 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 safety within which you need to explore these things in a relationship and also on your own
1: yeah I mean the one way I like to talk about this is that um, because you want to have this insecurity that it feels exciting
0: yes that's why yeah that's why we go there
1: but but then comes the question where do you want that to come from
0: and do you mm-hmm. want it to
1: come from that your partner is treating you in a bad way? Mm. I think this is like the traditional that people fall in love with the bad guy, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or do you want to have it because that you can't talk to your partner clearly about boundaries and that becomes unsafe and maybe attractive and scary because you mm-hmm. don't know how he will act in some ways.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: what I try to kind of tell people that you want to create this, you want to make it as safe as possible, and then you take your risk, so to say, or your unsafety or your bravery and mm. you put that inside a session within this kind of well-negotiated frame
0: yes yeah
1: um, so sometimes i hear people they meet a new person i said oh he just dominated me from the first time we met and i was like mm. oh but that's not maybe so good because then you don't have this safety and i said like so where do you want to get your uh safe or your sense of like um what word did you use your sense of, of like um unsafety or like risk or mm, like sensation mm. or intensity. And I like really find that within the play, not within the person. So
0: yeah, or the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think also into your place, mm, so you, mm. yeah. And also that we, you know, there's also when, you know, in, in any conversation around BDSM, I think there's, you know, there is the, the experience and the prelude, um, but there's also the aftercare, which is superbly important. And Mm. I think I've found that's one of the things which is also so incredibly powerful because you travel through, you you do travel through an an extreme timeline of sensation Mm. and that can bring up you know, that can stir up all sorts of other things, which you maybe didn't expect to arise, but making sure you take time to ground the experience and to come down together um, mm. and to care for each other through, you know, cause it can go both ways being a dominant as mm. well. You can have shocks and impacts and get yeah. triggered through things too. So making sure you can both be with each other in that space as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think there is two aspects to that. One is like, one is like the, the narrative of the time that you spend together. Because mm-hmm. so if you like to think about like, so maybe if you have like a three-hour session, then maybe you want to reach your peak in the middle of those three hours and have yeah. an equal amount of time coming out of it yeah. and kind of cuddle together and drink tea and talk. and mm-hmm. so, on. Mm-hmm. so that is one aspect of it to, to not have your peak at the end and then yeah. sleep like maybe in traditional sex. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But then the other part of it is that um, I think when you do something that is very intense, then there's a lot of um, endorphins and adrenaline and dopamine and a lot of chemicals that is released in your body and you will yeah. very likely feel very high afterwards. Yeah. And that takes a few days until it comes out. Yeah. So it's very often that you have your session, you feel amazing afterwards and you will feel amazing maybe two three days afterwards. And mm-hmm. then you kind of come down from mm-hmm. this experience. And then it's very important to have someone to be able to. That you can check in with and kind of ground yeah. with, and kind of can see you in this kind of
0: have an open line area. of communication to to yeah to connect.
1: Yeah, so there's, mm. these two kind of perspectives on time. One is directly after the session, how you end it, and one is like when um, the hormones are leaving your body and you're kind yeah. of returning back to everyday life, which is probably two three days afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like, can be challenging. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean I think there is one thing also you said, like because when if you read about BDSM and you talk about aftercare, which is like a concept or a word, a concept, mm. there, um then it's very much talked about, I think, uh, from like submissive persons' needs in a way. So, like mm-hmm. if you had Uh, this very intense experience but you also put the finger on it very kind of quickly as you were talking like it also goes for the man or absolutely yeah i think this is so important because if you start to move away from just the physical but moving into more this kind of blame and blame and blame (laughs) praise (laughs) and blame or Mm -hmm. And this, like, other kind of more emotional kind of part of it, mm. then, like, you are very much the man who are treating the woman bad or being like the traditional toxic masculine. You're
0: yeah, playing thing. that role. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I think that, and that, like, am I allowed to do this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think is like a super sensitive question.
0: Absolutely. Anna. Yeah, it kicks so up really different emotions. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so
1: I think mm-hmm. really it's like super important for men that are in the dominant role to also like can to be to be able to be vulnerable about this and say like that 100 percent like i i enjoy this in this setting but i don't want to be like this i don't want to be the one who beats women or Mm -hmm. like are like the ravaging or like the dominating one in my real life Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a a fine line isn't it and i think identifying the line is important um Mm. and what what comes up for both parties, you know, it needs to be expressed and explored and held and respected, yeah. I think.
1: Because one thing that I think about a lot for myself as a man in this kind of space, I don't know, I haven't come so far, so I know if this is a general thing or it's more just about me, mm. but something that really kind of, that I notice in myself, because we talk a lot about consent
2: mm-hmm. in like,
1: today's society, mm-hmm. and how that is so important. But it's kind of like, okay, that um, my partner, I, 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 they, can, they trust me that I will kind of conform to their rules about consent. So I will not mm-hmm. kind of do something that they're not consenting to. Yeah. But it's also important for me to be able to trust them. That if I stay within the limits of the consent, that I'm okay, that the actions that I'm doing are acceptable or wanted or loved yeah. or received in like a mm-hmm. positive light.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So I notice for myself, like sometimes when we are, so we, we make a negotiation before, it's like, these are the things I consent to. And often, sometimes it is like that the border of the session can be that, okay, this is not consented to, so we don't go there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: but it can also be like i don't trust that that this is actually okay
2: mm-hmm. like even mm-hmm. if you
1: say i consent to you slapping me in the face yeah i might not trust you that you actually want this even if you say it
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: this is, this is kind of there's two parts of it it's both like the consent but also then the trust
0: mm-hmm. yeah also it's trust like
1: learning to trust that the consent is kind of valid and respected in many yeah. ways
0: absolutely. Um, yeah absolutely yeah
1: and I don't know, in my personal practice, I find that trust is a more common border than consent. That mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. are, once they trust you, they're open to do almost anything. Yeah. But the trust, like, what do I dare to do? That is, can be like a very kind of defining factor. Mm. And I think this can be a, a, a trap for men that comes from a very performance-oriented sexuality. Mm. Maybe they will overstep their own trust. Mm -hmm. I don't really trust that this is okay, but I do it anyway because I want to perform. Yeah. It's inside the border of the consent negotiation in kind of a way. Mm. Mm. I think like it's at the top, you need to ask yourself one way to say it is like, do I consent to this? Or the other way is like, do I trust that this is okay? Even Mm. if it's been like outspoken Um, saying that this is okay because like for me the trust it's much more like it's like an embodied feeling that I feel like in my heart in many ways
2: yeah yeah
1: and if I don't feel that it doesn't matter how intellectual the consent is because if I just follow the consent then I will actually overstep my own boundaries
0: Mm. yeah and I, I guess that's so much to do with checking into your body wisdom versus your Mm. logical brain or the agreement that you've made. It's kind of, it's reading somebody um, and Mm. reading their responses so that, you know, I guess that must, that makes a good top. Um, If Mm. you're in tune and you can, you know, you're connected to your partner enough that you can have that conversation without needing to speak it, but you can Mm. sense um, that, you know, their responses, whether it's positive or negative and kind of, Mm. yeah, work with that as well as the, the, the kind of logical co- sketches of the conversation,
1: because as I talked about before, like for me, maybe eighty percent is my partner's experience and twenty percent is my experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then it's so easy to get caught up in my partner's experience because it's mm-hmm. so overwhelming because mm. I a massive experience, um, so that I forget to check in with myself. Do I yeah. actually want this? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah gosh there's a lot in there Yeah, amazing well i
1: think it's like but it's also like in the beautiful in many ways
0: because
1: Mm. like because it it kind of goes back to what we're talking about the beginning because it creates this arena to explore this part of yourself and like how do you balance between like holding space or creating this um Uh, experience where you can can empathically follow your partner through this amazing kind of journey Mm. and how do you do that at the same time as you're kind of connected to your own sexuality you know and one thing is your own sexuality but other other is also what is your own kind of needs and what are you okay with and what do you consent to Mm.
0: and that's something that you mentioned in the in the primal masculine text was about that switch between taking and serving Mm. Um, which is interesting as well and I, it sounds like you know within that play there is that real balance of when you get to take what you want um yeah. but then also understanding that you know there's this serving which is happening in order to pave the way for you to take what you want
1: yeah so and this is what i noticed like for myself i would say maybe 80 percent like if i want to have the best session i would say mm. that it's been made 80 serving and 20 percent mm.
2: mm-hmm. taking but Mm. when I
1: wrote this text about the beloved predator I was so like wow this taking is so amazing so (laughs) that's big thing and I think a lot of people notice that if they come from a very performance oriented sexuality Mm. when they have mostly been having sex with their partner to see them have a to see a beautiful woman have a beautiful orgasm Mm
2: -hmm, and then mm -hmm. all of a
1: sudden being allowed to like focus on their own sexuality and just oh but I want to do this instead I want to take this Mm -hmm. that is such a like overwhelming experience or was for me Mm. so then that becomes super like big in a way.
0: Mm, Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a a real, a real pleasure. Yeah. When you can focus on yourself. Yeah. Mm. But there
1: was another thing I thought that is important to say that we touched upon very lightly Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to going into this for the first time and learning Mm. about it. It's also that I think like there is an, there is, uh, I was thinking about which way to put it, but there is this uh, a funny way to say It's like there is this uh, old um, guru who's called Osho, and he said mm-hmm. that I'm the only guru that can contradict myself in the same sentence. <laughs> I will say, it. so I'm the only guru that can contradict myself in the same sentence. And I, think, I mean, this is very true. So like you read on the internet, you go to a workshop, um, and there is no single truth.
2: Yeah, especially
1: when you start to go deeper into like going into this kind of in-depth exploration of your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Because I can find myself, I can have a line of thought that is completely logical reasoning and it will lead me to one truth. Yeah. And then I can follow another line of reasoning and I can come to a contradicting truth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think like sexuality and the subconscious and all of this is very contradicting in many ways. Absolutely.
0: And I think BDSM is an embodiment of the paradox of yes. what it is to love and that meeting of love and pain and there's just so many challenges within the different layers of your consciousness and what you've been trained to think is okay versus what you desire and i think it is just it's kind of it's almost like a hall of mirrors sometimes yes. <laughs> but it's that's kind of when you're paying attention to it too closely and then if you yeah. focus out then it kind of feels like it me- makes sense but if you look at it too yeah. hard you can't make sense of it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's totally like that. But the reason why I'm saying this because because um, sometimes when you want to play in a power dynamic that is very black and white and very mm. simple, so like what you tell me that is the truth, like mm. you're my mistress, and then I want to, whatever you say is right. Mm. So it is not complicated. The, the world is very simple. Yeah. Um, so when you want, so I think when you go to a teacher or a workshop leader, you want them to kind of allow all these different contradicting and paradoxical ways and know like what they say is probably one side of the truth. But Mm. if they're a good teacher, then they will tell you a contradiction in the same sentence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. or if they are a bad teacher they will at least tell you go to that other teacher <laughs> to get the, the other side of the <laughs> fact in a way yeah or if they're and a horrible teacher then they will say stay with me forever and be, my <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be <psycho."> mine
0: six <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: but then i think you're writing out the power dynamic that might be kind of hot inside yeah. your yeah. dsm session but yeah you don't contact that out with your teacher <laughs> or exactly
0: your and i think that's you know that's such a valid point i think um You know, there's the the sexual energy, sexual energy is so strong and it Mm. can take you into places if you let if you're letting your loins talk for you and you're not engaging your heart and your Mm. mind as well. I think there is a and especially with working in, you know, working in this world, there are lots of people coming into it who are attracted to that energy and that you know, they're looking for something and they're kind of plugged into it, maybe for the first time. And it's very powerful. And I think mm. making sure you ground that energy in yourself and you find ways to work with it that um, help you to connect to it that are maybe outside of your, you know, the BDSM world. But I think there there is that definition of understanding these things about yourself, but then going to learn about them and Keeping that space clear so that you can receive and you know be yeah. in that space which is without that desire leading it. Mm. In a way, yeah. I don't know if I've explained and, that right, but I think no, I to think ground so. to ground it is important.
1: Yeah, I think I mean one we can leave like a link to the listeners that could be interesting. There's yes. a writer called V Schofield. I don't know if you read her. So. No, I haven't. Oh, she is, I mean, you you should, what she has done, she has gone through a lot of different spiritual or BDSM-like teachers and Mm -hmm. kind of exposed a lot of abuse through the Mm -hmm. the past maybe five years. I mean, I think that some of the people she exposes, it's a bit of a gray zone. Mm
2: Some
1: people she exposes is like horrible shit show. This should never happen. Yeah. Um, So, and she has been... So then you can just read about how you mix this up where the power play is, if it is Mm -hmm. actually between the teacher and the student, Mm -hmm. or if it is inside um, like a consentful, kind of agreed power structure where you want
2: Mm, to have it. mm, mm.
1: Yeah, I think that's I mean it's just written about so many spiritual um teachers. So. yeah, and it
0: happens so frequently, it's you know, yes. it's over and over again. And I think, yeah, that's I mean that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um so, so but you, let's definitely mark,
1: because then you will just be depressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll we'll leave <laughs> but, it, we'll but, put
0: but, that <laughs> link up. We could let people check that out for themselves. But um We're coming to the end of our conversation, I think. We've got to wrap it up. But is there yeah,
1: let's let's Yes, just one more thing because I think one positive thing of this is when sexuality or conscious sexuality is spreading out to become like a wider field of interest, Mm. Mm. then I think it's also good that it gets more scrutinized in many ways. Yes. Yeah, people like her. Or actually thinks that they are a day when I think about it, because I think it's a trans person, but check out the website.
0: Well yeah, I think yeah, uh, transparency is important in all industries. Um all you know all areas of interest uh so yeah let's encourage that definitely and what mm. is i just want to check in with your the, the last little mission is how can people find you and your work and what are you up to at the moment uh, what's next for andy buru
1: mm, i mean my web page is the best place mm-hmm. that's where i put the most content so mm-hmm. it's andyburu.se great in Sweden. but it's in english 99 mm-hmm. like percent now thank you <laughs> Yes, that's where I publish most of my writings and that's where I publish about events that I do and so on. Great. And then due to Corona, I am mostly doing private sessions in mm-hmm. Stockholm mm-hmm. or some like around Scandinavia. I also are a bit of this kind of env- what you say, environmentalist. So I don't mm-hmm. really like flying far and so on. So I tend mm-hmm. to work in Northern Europe, so mm-hmm. like in Estonia and Norway, Finland, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, sometimes pretty mm-hmm. much places I can reach by train or boat. Great. So I So Try to avoid flying.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so
1: I do workshops there, but I'm going to try to do a few now in the end of the year, mm-hmm. like in October, November, December um and then it will start up otherwise during next year again
0: fantastic and also your instagram as well because you uh, you've been reading your writings on there so
1: yeah
0: what's your instagram
1: yeah, handle? Called, it's called stockholm syndrome which okay is funny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic so you can find annie at stockholm syndrome and i would encourage with two, our...
1: with two underscores afterwards
0: okay well i'll put the i'll put the link up <laughs> so everyone can find you yeah. and um, and I would encourage yeah perfect a
1: link from my webpage do that so, yeah
0: amazing i 'll put all the links on the on the podcast and um, I would encourage everybody to tune in to andy 's really fascinating writings and readings and andy 's going to join us um, i think next month as well you 're going to come back, which is exciting yeah. so I would welcome after people have go, gone to hear about andy 's different uh, areas of interest feedback let us know what you want to hear, and we can have another conversation um, and go deeper into to some of your your writing because I mean I struggled to there was so much (laughs) I struggled Mm. to figure out what we could fit into this hour which I think we've got a bit over but yeah it'd be lovely to have another conversation and to to go deeper next time yeah fantastic well thank you so much it's been a pleasure real pleasure yeah and uh take care we'll see you soon
1: yeah talk to you later bye bye
0: I loved that conversation there was so much in there it's really rich talking to Andy because he's got so much experience and he's such a a thinker he's thought a lot and he's experienced a lot um, that he's able to deliver so many uh, perspectives on one topic it's really brilliant a joy to meet someone who's so passionate about their subject and topic of um, knowledge So I hope that has made you think about pleasure and power. And maybe where power dynamics are playing out in your relationships. Are they conscious? Are they unconscious? Can you bring them to consciousness? Can you embody them in different ways? Um, Maybe have a feel into if you've ever been curious to explore a more dominant aspect of yourself or submissive when it comes to pleasure and relating. Do you fall into one more naturally? Um, Is there something that you'd like to experience in the opposite space? Have a think about how, how and who you are in your waking life and then flip that and see if you want to explore the opposite within your sexuality and your desire body or if you want to step into more of the aspects of yourself that appear in your waking life. It's interesting stuff and I would encourage you to um, find out more from Andy. Check out his website. He's got so many incredible writings up on his site and his website is andyburu.se. You can find lots more about his projects, his art uh, projects, he's done videos and he takes beautiful photographs as well. So there's lots to find out from him. He's also got an online school where you can sign up and do some online sessions about uh, shibari and rope bondage. You can also find him at Stockholm Syndrome with an underscore after the m on instagram and so i encourage you again you can listen to his writings which he's recorded on instagram so please go and have a check in with uh, what he's written and recorded um, and let me know what you want to hear more about because i'm going to make some time with andy in a month as i said to have another conversation with him So let me know what you want to hear more of. Um, Like I said, I found it so hard to choose because there was so much that we could possibly talk about. So it'll be a real blessing to have some more time and to check back in. So let me know what you want to uh, hear from Andy Burrow and we'll go there next time. Go a little bit deeper. So sending you all so much love, Um, I hope this has enriched your weekend and uh, I look forward to joining you all again next week. Take such good care. Bye bye.